Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this incredible parable. And we pray this day, this Mother's Day, that we will learn something afresh of your love for us, the reality of that love in this pandemic season. That's us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've never been inside All Souls Church before, but I'm indebted to this church in at least two ways. Firstly, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law got married just over there on those steps um, in the glorious year of 1966, which means they've been married for nearly 250 years. Um, that'd be me in trouble later. Um, if it hadn't been for the ministry and for the witness of this church, for the youth group that meets in your old hall, uh, then it is possible that they would never have met, they would have never have played ping pong together, they would have never have fallen in love, got married on those steps over there. My wife wouldn't have been born, I wouldn't, and they wouldn't, uh, and they wouldn't have grandchildren, uh, and I wouldn't be a father and standing here. So that's my first indebtedness to all souls, and I'm grateful. My second indebtedness is that I am indebted for this opportunity to speak this morning about the prodigal son, or actually the older son in this most famous of parables. As I prepared to preach this sermon on the prodigal son, I realized that it was the argumentative, depressed and exhausted older brother that I most identified with. Well, let's have a quick run through that story that we've just heard Barney read for us. We, we know this story well, don't we? There's two sons. There's the father that we always think of as our heavenly father of God. And the younger son comes along and he says, well, look, I want my share now. And he gets uh, all, all the cash that he can and he, he pushes off to the, the pagan world and he has a most incredible party time and he, he drinks and he blows all the money away. And then there's a severe famine that we've just heard about and he's in rags and he's got no food and he's got no money. Uh, and he decides he's going to go back to his father and seek forgiveness. He, he comes to himself, as it uh, famously says, uh, and he goes and starts on the journey returning to his father. And there, the heavenly father, as we understand him, he, he's, he's looking and he sees the son far off and he, he runs and he meets him and he puts a cloak on his back and he puts sandals on his shoes and a, and a ring on his finger. And then he kills the fattened calf and holds a humdinger of a party. In the midst of all of that, it was the older son's plight that drew my attention. The older son complains. He's angry. He is refusing to go into the party, into his brother's party. And he's standing outside and he's having a hissy fit, as I would like to think of it. And he says, I'm not going inside. It's not fair. It's not appropriate. I've been outside. I've been busting a gut and I've got nothing. He's right ticked off. I'm a bit ticked off. As I move through the pandemic, like the old brother, if I'm honest, I've started to the cost of being a Christian, being a minister, started storing up my uh, complaints. I'm ticked off. Being a Christian isn't a bed of roses. Being ordained, in my experience, is far from easy. 
the irony of me saying this is, as the area director of ministry, I, I help people prepare to uh, uh, go forward, explore ordination. I, I've been blessed to uh, know Rachel Little on her journey through that. Notice what the brother says in verse 29. He says, I have saved for you. That's a very uh, a loaded phrase, one Jewish person to say to another. I've brought my, my God to Being ordained, well, it's financially challenging. It has a huge impact on life. We clergy often work long hours for very little reward. If you really want to upset your clergy, go to them and say, well, you only work on a Sunday, don't you? And I remember when I was a vicar, I've been a vicar twice, once here, once Coventry. I moved here from Coventry. And I can remember having a row sometimes of people who want to come and complain. They would come to me after the service and they'd say, nice service, vicar. Just one thing. You know, I've had complaints about the way I stand, the way I sit. I once had a two-sided letter, two letter written to me, handwritten. Uh, it was a complaint about the, uh, the footwear choice of the service was serving, helping me serve at the midnight communion service. I remember the woman writing at the end of the letter that I, I hadn't picked that I had ruined her Christmas. I remember uh, uh, taking a funeral, my birthday, a funeral that was full of emotion and sadness. And then straight from the wake of the funeral to a meeting about closing a school where all the teachers were going to lose their job. I remember crawling home emotionally wrung out and having just a enough emotional energy to blow out my candle. I've had loads of things happen in ordained history. Uh, I was receiving death threats from seemingly two different people, uh, one of them delivering them to our vicarage. The older son. Hear the complaints that I just rattled off. In this pandemic season, also counting the cost. Notice the, uh, the older son has started to keep score in verse 29. He says, all these years, how many years? Well, he's keeping count. I have never disobeyed your orders. He's keeping count. You have never given me even young goats so I can celebrate with my friends. How many times has God done that? He's keeping count. I can tell you 20 things that are wrong with my life right now. I bet if we all got together, we could do that. And then in the midst of all the things that are wrong in life, God throws in a pandemic. Really? I'm furious. I'm so grateful for All Souls Church asking me to come and preach today because it's helped me identify myself with the older brother. And I suspect strongly that there are some of us here today who have been counting the cost, that we may be with the older brother, with me and the older brother complaining. Well, if you are, here's the good news. Three points of good news to draw from our reading today. Firstly, notice that the father comes to the older brother. The older brother's outside having his, uh, his hissy fit. And the father comes out. The father came out to meet the prodigal son when he returned. The father comes out to meet the older son when he won't go in. Maybe this shouldn't be called the prodigal son, but the traveling father. Your heavenly father comes out to meet you. 
He comes out to meet me. And interestingly, he hears the complaints of the older son. The psalmists knew that we can bring our complaints to God, but so often it seems something that we don't readily do. Um, it's interesting. I'm a, a father. I've got two wonderful teenage daughters, uh, and they don't argue much with us, and it'd be unfair to say that they did. But, uh, you know, if they came to me and started arguing in the way the older son is, I'd say, that's not true. You know, that you, you, you're, you're blowing that up out of proportion. That's inaccurate. That's wrong. But notice God doesn't do that here. He, he receives the accusations. There's no defensiveness in God. The first good news, if you're like me, standing outside the kingdom party complaining, is that the father comes out and meets us and hears our complaints. Secondly, notice what the father says to the older son. He says in verse 31, my son. Some translate this as dear son. And the King James just says son, but it's something of love. It's something of affirming. It's something saying where we are in the household. I'm sorry about the gender specific language. I think when we read it, it's entirely appropriate to say, dear daughter, Dear son, dear children, when was the last time that you allowed God to call you his son and his daughter? I put in my notes, when was the last time you reveled, luxuriated, and inhabited in this reality? The first good news is the Father comes out to meet us when we complain. He hears our complaints. And he affirms us by calling us his daughter and son. And then the third final point, the good news, is that the father says to the older son, everything I have is yours. And I love this. And you are always with me. There's something slightly different to uh, I'm always with you. You are always with me. In verse 25, we hear that the older son is out in the field. He's putting his shoulder to the plow. He's working hard. Many of us are in the kingdom field. When we're working hard, it's so easy, easy to forget our proximity to our heavenly Father. But even when we're in the thick of it, we should hear repeatedly God say, you are always with me. The parable ends with the father urging the older son to come back to the party. This sermon ends with the reiteration of the father's invitation to all of us to come back to the kingdom party. Notice that we're not told if the older son goes back to the kingdom party. I've been wondering for the last few days if maybe Jesus just leaves us to fill in our own answer. I'm indebted to all souls. I realized I have become like the older brother, tired, complaining, standing outside the kingdom party, keeping score. And through this opportunity to speak with you today, your father spoke to me. And if you're standing outside right now with the older son, I hope he speaks to you. Dear son, dear daughter, 
you are always with me. Come back to the kingdom party. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation, for the love that you show both to the prodigal and to the older son, and that you come to meet us, to call us daughter and son, and draw us back to your kingdom party. Amen.